This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Pay Phillips, and having his own difficult moments today, <laughs> Daily. <laughs> Hello, yeah, I've been having some serious tech issues uh, during today's recording, but I'm fine now. That's good. Yeah, yeah, you are. Now that the interview's over. <laughs> yeah, it all sorted itself out about five minutes ago before the end. Um, yes, very weird. And we do talk actually on today's podcast about kind of t- connectivity yeah. in general, but also about tech as well, how actually we are quite reliant on tech at the moment uh, for us to be connected. So when it goes wrong, it's it's very frustrating. Well, yeah, and I think we've all had to adapt to this new way of working and particularly podcasters like you and I, um, and we're having to do this over... Um, zoom other video conferencing software is available uh but zoom is what we are using and yeah and it's it's adapting to this new normal and and as we've said many times you and i in 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 um off air that it's not as you know it's not as personable to do it this way but you know we, we can't see um ourselves in a in a studio anytime soon so we're having to do it this way and and we're still getting great conversations that's the main thing and today's conversation with our guest natalie anson is up there with some of the best beautiful link (laughs) beautiful link um 
Yeah, it really is. Uh, I mean, obviously, I missed half of it because I was trying to get mm. the internet to work out. No, I did actually. There was long periods where I was sitting in listening, yeah. and I, as I say during, I felt like sort of I was eavesdropping on your conversation because I couldn't say yeah. anything. Um, yeah. So for the first half of the interview, me. it's a lot more of me asking the questions, but Jim is there in spirit. <laughs> uh, yeah, just imagine me watching but not being able to join. It's like in. a sort of voyeur. Um, yeah, um, weird, like Real voyeur, Window. You were in on it. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're like James Stewart in Real Window, looking at me. Um, um, as George C. Scott sort of murdering my wife. I'm murdering an interview um, on my own. <laughs> no, you were great. It was, it, was, uh, it was actually quite refreshing to sit back and, mm. and listen, actually. Um, now, Natalie was such a great guest. Um, she's really open in this interview, mm. as a lot of our guests are, about kind of her struggles with anxiety. And there's a lot of really good advice chucked in as well to it. So it's... Um, yeah, really enjoyable interview. Yeah, it's brilliant. To watch yeah, and to be part. Yeah, of. and Natalie is um, fantastic um, actress and performer. We, I, I should have asked her. She said she was on Pop Idol, but I never asked her what song she sang. So maybe we can find out what we'll the song out, was yeah. um, to get through. She got through to quite late rounds in the in the first series of Pop Idol. But yeah, her, her main sort of thing has been acting. And then more recently, she's kind of moved away from acting to concentrate on. Um, her business which is around well-being and i think she's mm. as she alludes to in the interview quite a lot about her own sort of struggles with anxiety um which sort of came from a period of doing lots and lots and lots of work i think actually yeah and something that a lot of people can relate to not just creative people or actors i think actually a lot of people can find themselves in those situations of being overwhelmed anyway mm. but natalie's story and how far she's come in the last, well, she's only, only 18 months. Mm. is actually, I think, really quite inspiring. Yeah, it's fantastic, yeah. So I think we should just dive in. Yeah, let's do it. This is Natalie Anderson on The Blank Podcast. You're waving. waving. Yeah. I can yeah. see you. <laughs> cool. How are you doing? You are right. I'll be brutally honest, I'm feeling really overwhelmed today. I'm feeling Are really you? tired and a little bit exhausted. And part of me is, part of me thinks, I wonder if it's from the announcement. I kind mm. of feel a bit deflated. And part of me just thinks I've had eight weeks of homeschooling, trying to run a business yeah. and just doing a million and one things. I think, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I was feeling a bit like that the last couple of days. I think a bit, I'm feeling a bit brighter today, I have to say, but. We made we made a couple of decisions last night with regards to like the children. I think um, we got one at secondary school, so he's not going back, obviously. Um, but we got one in year six, and Sonny's got quite bad special needs. He's quite severely dyslexic, and he's in a nurture class. And we just decided he's not gonna that provision is not going to be available for him if he goes back. Um, so we've just decided to just keep him off till September. And I think that was a bit of a weight off just knowing that he's going to be here and we can just carry on what we're doing, even though it's challenging at times. I think just having that sort of put in place was a bit of a weight off. I completely agree with you because, you know, our son is um, seven, nearly eight, and we've had this same conversation. It's looking like he's not going to go back till September anyway. But I, I feel... I suppose it's a control thing. Like I'm more in control. I can yeah. see him. He's with me. I know who he's with. I know what he's doing. I know how much learning he's doing. It's up to me really to be the good parent and to make sure he's, you know, doing all the schoolwork that he needs to do. But equally, I know he's yeah. safe. And I think it's just, you don't want to send them back and then them be just again, you know, one of many and they're not being checked on. And if they're, 
clean yeah. or, you know, for, like for your son, if he's getting the attention that he needs. I think as a parent, that just natural instinct to protect comes oh, out, doesn't so. it? I think, and uh, you know, the idea that, um, I mean, you know, they're sort of saying about reception children going back. Reception children don't know what social distancing is by any means, you know. I know. Um, I struggle with it. So, you know, expecting a sort of four or five-year-old to not want to touch everything and lick everything is, you know, yeah, I don't know. The, sometimes think these things haven't necessarily been thought through. <laughs> That's kind of what I felt. You know, I, I did say that on Twitter the other day. I was like, is this, has this actually been, you know, thought, thought, um, through properly in terms of you know where even yesterday when Boris was being asked all those questions it looked genuine it just kept looking going have we thought about that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you have no idea you have no yeah. clue so so can I go see my mum can I meet her in the park maybe not in the park well maybe one person at a time but what if we're a couple and it's like but if you get wow. your mum to clean your house it's totally fine she can come around and clean your house that's that's okay now brilliant oh my god that's exactly yeah, what i'm exactly. gonna do and then can she teach a yeah, little lesson yeah, at the same yeah, time exactly <laughs> so then that's the that's the bizarre thing you know we're allowed to have cleaners in and stuff now but um if, for those of us who are allowed to i haven't got we haven't got cleaner but um you know it just seems bizarre that that's okay but then you can't go and sit in a park with your i don't know it's bewildering a little bit bewildering that and, i know it is what it is i mean i think that we do obviously you know i'm I keep feeling like, do people think that I'm not bothered? Do you understand that the economy has to yeah, work? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just making sure that it's happening at a very safe rate and that, you know, we look at Germany and that's already kind of creeping back up. And it's just, you know, not springing things on employers and just making sure that it's very gradual, it's very well thought thought through and that everyone is safe rather than I almost felt especially with the park situation it was a like a, a tick box to try and be popular oh, with totally. the kids yeah. do you know what I mean yeah I don't know honestly I think you're you're spot on there I mean have you got many parks around by you Jim Jim's in Chesham yeah we've got uh yeah there are parks around us yeah it's we're, we're lucky actually we're sort of slightly out in the sticks so um getting out and sort of going for a walk and stuff is actually not too bad, and, and people oh, around here. He's having Wi-Fi problems this morning. <laughs> am I? Oh no! Yeah. Am I not? Am I having a problem? Am I not coming through? It keeps dipping out. Yeah, it keeps dipping out, dude. Oh, we just talked nasty. We forget about Jim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might... Oh God, Jim. <laughs> oh, well, well, it was brief. Um... <laughs> no, he's, he's back. back. He's back. You're back, mate. I might yeah. check my router. I might check my router and come back if that's all right. Yeah. Pretend I'm we've not, not had here. this issue okay. before. But I think Jim was saying he's changed his broadband, so it's not a good time to change. As to be fair, ours is, is shocking. Ours keeps dipping in and out all the time. And I literally, if you'd have seen me just before this, I'll, again, I'll be brutally honest. Shut up! Turn everything <laughs> oh, no, really. off. Everything in the house <laughs> because we've had so much issues. Like we've done so, I've done so many course, live streams, yeah. and my son, bless him, he loves his Pokemon games. And then my husband will be doing a video conference yeah. of his own. So it's like our, I feel like our little broadband is like I can't take yeah, it anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like stop. So it's like we're all trying to be fair and give it one stream at a time. So at the minute, I was like, for the next yeah. hour or so, this it's is my, my time. time. I've got it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's funny, isn't yeah. it? Because we've sort of all dipped into other necessarily we've dipped into more technologies and i do wonder like were the tech companies like ready for this you know because i mean like zoom for example everyone's using zoom now and it 
feels like you know it's being overridden yeah. with like customers i mean it's probably great and they're loving it but at the same time have they got the capacity to to sort of take this new amount of people coming on i don't know it's funny isn't it i don't know I know. Well, I was having a look at the um, the business plans and stuff because I also expect that people are very, really savvy, as in they go, "Hold on a minute, we're not going to give all this for yeah. free now. Let's just make it a little bit rubbish so <laughs> yeah. that, that people have to pay to go to the next stage." You know, you notice things like that. Like, um, I run part of my business on Instagram, and you know that relies on yeah, engagement yeah. a lot of the time. And I notice certain things, and I just think, "Oh, you're so mean." You know, when you start to notice your engagement drop, and then you go well how many people actually mm-hmm. saw that and then you realize oh about five percent of the audience saw it and it's because they obviously want you to pay yeah, for the advertising I know. it's shocking those sort of things isn't it I, suppose, <laughs> I guess that's their business models but yeah it's a funny one i i've bought the the sort of i guess the next step up for zoom so that you can go past the 40 minute cut off um yeah and yeah but i don't know what the premium one does do you know what the premium one does I think the premium one is something like you can get your own branding on the video, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And I think you can do, like, more webinars. You can have up to 500 people dial in. Um, Yeah, so it's pretty advanced. I mean, and to be fair, I do think, obviously, going forward, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that can't go to big live events. Like, that is probably going to be one of the last things that we're going to be able to get to. And so I think they're probably putting these things in place now to allow broadcasters or you know musicians or whoever to kind of say all right then you can have at least let's say 500 people dialing into you if you wanted to do a live set if you were a musician or whatever then that I suppose there's that opportunity so for as much as it's a bit I'm like "Mm, what are we going to get out of this like you also think actually that there could be some amazing things as well I think you're right oh he's back back. yeah Yay! We were just talking about the technology and Great. how, like, okay. you know, Zoom's probably. And look, as soon as he's back, he's faded out. <laughs> 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 Who have you changed to, Jim? You changed providers? No, we've kept the same provider. We've gone from Talk Talk to like Talk Talk super fast, but it's just. <laughs> You are not talk talking super fast right now. <laughs> exactly. It's so bad. It keeps cutting out. It's really, really annoying. Yeah, you dropped out again, oh. mate. Oh man, no way! And now I'm going. Is it me? And it let can't me... be me because I'm not with you. <laughs> so no, I'm... no, it's not you. <laughs> it's not it's not you. Let me leave. Let me leave and come back in. Oh, let... sorry, this is totally my fault. No, don't worry. Don't yeah, worry. yeah, fine. I'll just jump in now and then. It'll... Yeah, okay. I'm gonna leave and come back in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you're with us, you're with us. <laughs> well, Natalie, welcome to the Blank Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. I know it's so lovely to finally like have a proper chat because obviously we've been friends on Twitter and stuff for a while. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's, it's you know, this is the good thing about doing the podcast is you can actually sit. I mean, normally you can sit in a room with someone and have a proper chat, but this is the sort of second next best thing, I guess. Um, how are you how are you um, coping with the new normal? Um, I'll be uh, yeah, and a, 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 God, oh my God, I can barely get my words out today. That is, that You're is the res- Blank, yeah, you're blanking. That is the, <laughs> that is the result of eight weeks of the lockdown period. I mean, to be fair, I, I, I'd taken a bit of um, a step back from performing anyway over the last, mm. like, 18 months to concentrate on my um, my wellness business. And I, so I'd already made that transition to working from home quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And the biggest reason for that really was to be around my son. You know, I'd just been on tour for n- nine months. And I wanted that time to kind of just be at home with him and take him to sleep. Mm 
school and do this do the school mum thing and so the business became much more important and developing that so that I had that really nice balance so in terms of that transition of actually working from home I'd kind of already made that so that wasn't the big shock the biggest shock I think was the multitasking of then homeschooling that's been the hardest thing I think for me personally and I know lots of people out there it's just you know having to revisit all those skills that you've forgotten about you know like nouns pronouns like what's this what's that fractions decimals and and you know again trying to keep a business going whilst having a seven-year-old and my husband works full-time I think that my senses have just been completely overstimulated and I'm now at the back end of it where I'm like eight weeks in and if I'm honest I'm feeling a bit tired at the first bit I was like oh yeah we've got this we can do this you know we're all good with this we we'll pull together but now I feel like I'm yeah just a bit um yeah I can see Jim Jim's joining us. Hello, he's frozen again. Um, Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of now, I need a second wind. Yes. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I do understand what you're saying. I mean, sorry, going back to the school stuff, were you, were you, are you, did you enjoy school yourself? Were you, were you into school? I loved school. I was incredibly lucky. I went to a performing arts school, um, but the performing, you had to kind of make sure you did all of your studies to be able to do all the performing arts courses. So I was one of those people that, just really threw myself into school and I was an only child really as well you know I've got mm-hmm. stepbrothers and sisters but primarily I was an only child so all my friends and all my social groups were school-based and I'm still best friends with the girls from school now Are so you? we yeah so we had like the best time and I loved it I loved learning and you know I did I did well at school and so I kind of want Fred my son to have that same experience so this is a bit difficult <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So performing arts was something that you always really enjoyed doing as a, at a young age. Yeah, I mean, from being the age of about five, really. My, my oh, okay, mum, yeah. yeah, my mum was a single parent. She had me really young when she was seventeen. My mum was seventeen and sixteen, and my dad was. Um, and they separated. You know, they were young love and all that. And yeah, and yeah. so it was my granddad and my grandma that brought me up. And my granddad was a massive nineteen thirties and forties film buff, and he loved Fred and oh, Ginger, really? Rita Hayworth, Gene Kelly, and that's what I was brought up on because my mum was working like three jobs so I just lived and breathed this world of color and dancing and and I, I honestly it, it was quite bleak like living on a council estate in Bradford in the 1980s with my mum and so to have this world of color was exciting oh, and yeah. I think that's where it came from really yeah that escapism I yeah. guess yeah yeah, I used to have that, I guess, a little bit. Not performing so much, but yeah, just using movies and books and things as being a way of escaping from, you know, you know, a, 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 an upbringing that wasn't necessarily the nicest. Yeah. You know, the environment was great. So having those things, you know, art as, and creativity has always been a way of escaping from that. So is that the same for you? Absolutely, yeah, I, I, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an incredibly emotional thing for me as well, um, it, it's performing. And, you know, it's very deep-rooted in me. And I think it... it there's something in it that allows me to probably express myself more than it was the only way really for me to express myself as a child because I think that at that time I was very conscious of the fact that my mum was working really hard you know so hard bless her and you know I would often go without things and I'd I'd kind of keep all that internalized and then the way for me to express it was through performing so a bit like a weird kind of therapy for a kid, if you see what I mean, yeah. you know, in terms yeah, of, like, yeah. getting it all out. And, and if I was angry, um, you know, I'd get it all out. Um, 
And, you know, again, if I was sad, I'd be singing a sad song or it was just a really easy way for me to express how I felt because I couldn't really have those conversations with my mum at that time. And I was only little Mm -hmm. anyway. But um, I mean, it's something that we talk about all the time now, you know, it's dead. It's an easy chat, you know, mother, daughter and everything. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. So you didn't want to burden her with that stuff? Absolutely. And we we have this conversation a lot because it drives my mum mad that she felt like I took on a lot of that pressure as a kid because, you know, there were only 17 years between us. She, you know, when she was like in her early 20s, I I was kind of old enough to know what was going on and to know mm. that not to put pressure on her and she hates that now because she was like I feel like you know you've lost part of part of growing up or that you know that carelessness or that freedom and and I'm like yeah but it doesn't matter because it's it, it's made me who I am really and I think it's made me my mum always told me to be compassionate and it's always made me feel you know look, to look at other people and not just take things for granted it's it's given me a sense of understanding at a very young age that not you know you don't just get something for nothing it doesn't get given to you you have to work really hard for it and nine times out of ten there's been a lot of hard work that's gone into something you might not see it out there but nine times out of ten there is and that's why I get cross with people you know when you see somebody do well and you see other people might be like, oh, it's been easy for them. And you think, you don't know what their story is. You don't know where yeah. that drive came from. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're totally right. Because, well, because it's easy, isn't it? It's easy for us, particularly, I suppose, nowadays on social media, it's easy to look at people and pass comment on them uh, and not really know or see what what they've been through or what challenges they've had to put up yeah. with and obviously you've had a lot of challenges in your early life so were you doing like school plays and stuff yeah so I started yeah it was school plays originally and then I went to drama my, my granddad took me to dancing classes and drama classes again just for those extracurricular activities and I loved it so much so I did all that stuff and then when I was about 12 I then um, then moved across from Bradford to Leeds to an actual performing arts school. It was the only one in Leeds. Oh, okay. It was brilliant. It was one that Melanie B went to, Melanie Brown, and it was the only one kind of in our area. We always laugh because we always say it was the one for the poor kids because you couldn't afford to go to London because of pay all the, all the tuition fees in London. It was only like 40 quid or something, so we all went there. But um, but it was amazing. And, and from there, I really I got an agent from there, a kid's agent, and then I started working professionally when I was 15 um, for the BBC. Oh, right. So you were quite young yeah. yourself when you started working. Yeah, so when I started working for my first telly job, I was just 15. Um, and it, again, that was an amazing job and it taught me so much. And then I went from there to drama school. So I went to Lippa, which is the, the Paul McCartney Institute. So I've went, been to Lippa. Yeah, it's I've, amazing. Not, not, to, not to actually go there, but I recorded in one of the studios there. Um, Weren't we lucky with those studios? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, it's, I mean, the music studios were, were incredible. I mean, I mean, I think I must have been in my early twenties. It was just a kind of jolly for a weekend. We knew someone who was who was doing an engineering course, sound engineering course yeah. there, and and we were just a practice band for her to you know to do her course. And uh, um, you know, I just remember it being a really incredible place to be around. Like just even going to like the local pubs and stuff where you know just see it's just Beatles memorabilia everywhere you know you're sort of soaking it all in um and they they their student digs were in Toxteth so it was quite um 
which is quite a rough area. I think I think when we went, it was still a lot of the shops had a bit like now they had plastic screenings up yeah. and stuff. It was um, Toxteth, yeah. I mean, where, yeah. yeah, we were right next to the college, like literally right next to it. And um, it, you know, I went there probably. I was the third year. Of, of students that, that went in and honestly the, the facilities that we had compared to other drama schools were unbelievable but it was the great thing about Lippa I was talking to my friend the other day about this actually who just released her first novel from Lippa and we were on the acting course okay. together and they really taught us how to make our own work. That was the key message that came from Lippa. It was do not rely on an agent to go out there and find you the jobs. You want to do something, you do it yourself. Create the work, create, you know, be creative, produce it. And they kind of gave us the skill set to do that. And and again, having that um, mixture of sound engineers, you know, and um, management courses and music students, drama students, techies, all in one place and these amazing facilities you learn very quickly you know to be to, to to multitask and to diversify it really helped with the course you were kind of told go and do a sound engineering module or something and I think that was that really suited me because I like to turn my hand to like a million yeah, and one different yeah. things yeah and amazing also also I guess it gives you a, a taste of collaboration as well which is you know as an actor you're going to have to do quite a lot of the time Absolutely. Yeah. Again, that was another thing that that they said, you know, they mixed you up quite a lot. They mixed you with different people. You were, I mean, for my first year and a half, actually, I was not allowed to do much musical theatre because that's kind of where I'd come from was a lot of music um, and again, musicals. And they just totally stripped that back from me and made me do all the Shakespeare modules and mixed, really mixed it up. And again, brought other students in from other um, courses and it was brilliant because again you just had to learn to mm. get on with it no messing about no ego just crack on and get the work done and i think that's really stuck with me today definitely can you guys still hear me yeah yeah you're in jim oh good i feel like i'm sort of sitting in on someone else's conversation just like listening in to someone else's chat um no Oh, is he gone now? I feel really bad for Jim. Oh, see, every time he's... I uh, know, he keeps talking and then disappearing. Oh. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll carry on. <laughs> he'll, I'm sure he'll come oh, back yeah. to you. Oh, so I, from Lippo, you said... You, I really so, want him to talk. There he is again. Ask a question, oh, Jim. Uh, oh, quick, questioning, <laughs> quick, Jim. Uh, I feel like I'm on like a press pack kind of thing. Um... <laughs> My question would be, were you always open to trying new things or was that something that you learned while doing these courses? It was definitely something I learned at doing, doing these courses. Yeah, it was something I learned. I, I kind of got a little bit stuck in my ways at, at, um, at high school. And again, I always kind of went to the musical theatre side of things. And I, that, that was my, um, they were my roots and I loved it there. So then when I went to Lipper and they literally just threw me out of my comfort zone and were like, do this. I mean, I remember one part that I did was, um, you know, it was a little old man in, I can't remember which Shakespeare it was, but they were like, go and play an 80 year old man. And I was like, 
what? And I remember being horrified. And you know what? It was one of my most favourite characters. And then they made me play Madame Arcati in Blind yeah. Spirit. And I was like, but I want to be Ruth. You know, she's the lovely one. And they were like, no, you go <laughs> yeah. and be Madame Arcati. And, but again, I loved it. And it really made me... Um, reassess kind of me my skill set and also what I was capable of it really opened me up to thinking Mm. you know what you don't have to be just one thing you can change and actually sometimes by changing direction you might actually find that you're better at something else and you just never allowed yourself to to explore that so it was definitely Lipper and um, the courses that I were kind of thrown onto that that challenged me and and made me realise that, yeah, if the more doors you close, you kind of keep your world very small. If you open them all and just go, all right, let's see what's going on, you know, whether that's a challenge, whether that's a charity thing, whether it's just dipping your toe in the water mm. of um, doing a little sing song. I've loved people doing TikTok videos in the lockdown, probably people that you would never even expect to, you know, expect to do it. I've loved seeing them do it because yeah, I'm thinking... Yeah. And, like, it's Wayne Bridge. Wayne Bridge has been making me, like, I'm like, he's so good. He's such a good <laughs> dancer. And I love that. And it looks to me like he's really enjoying himself and probably thinks, maybe I could do Strictly or something like Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was wondering, what, you being an only child, I guess, was that a chance for you to actually do, you know, when you went to Lippa, you got the actually got the chance to, to collaborate and be, with you know, to, to play with other people yeah definitely I definitely did and I think because we were living together as well you know we were um even at, at school we spent a lot of time together because we a lot of our shows we would rehearse straight after school until nine o'clock so we did actually spend a lot of time together and that's why I think my friendship group is so important to me it's just, like I said before it's the same six girls that I went to school with but with Lipper because we were living together as well it was always like even even when you were fighting or arguing with somebody of who's done what with the dishes I didn't have that you know it was just me and my mum and my stepdad in my later life so then to be with a load of people that didn't you know tidy up after themselves I was like what the hell is this (laughs) like what's this horror (laughs) Um, and again it taught me to be understanding and compassionate and kind because you had to you know look at everybody else's backgrounds and understand that what might be okay for you is different for somebody else. And it's just that being open rather than being closed and stuck in your ways. I think I definitely feel mm. like those years taught me an awful lot about that for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I think you're I think you're totally right. You so out of Lipper, you what did you what was your first job out of that? So whilst I was at Lipper, I actually auditioned for the first pop idol. So this was Did like, you? yeah, so it, I remember it so clear. Um, I was in America with a few friends of mine and we were traveling around Boulder and Colorado and uh, my mum, pop stars had already happened the year before and my yeah. mum rang me and said, don't be cross, but I've entered you into a competition. <laughs> and I went, what? And she went, they're looking for somebody that wants to be a solo star <laughs> and, you know, like a George Michael or a Madonna. So I've entered you. And I went, what are you on about? <laughs> I was halfway in America and was just like, she's gone nuts. Anyway, got home and they decided that they wanted to see me. So I kind of oh, went right, along. Okay. Yeah, so I went along and, and I was 
you know, I'd done the musical theatre casting calls of literally, like, queuing around the block of the Palace Theatre to be seen for Les Mis, so I knew what it was like, um, and it was very much like that. But equally, because I was at Lipper, I'd... Um, I was, you know, really interested in music as well and having the music studios, I was collaborating with a lot of people and I, I kind of knew who Simon Cowell was from um, from a, um, um, a music PR kind of point of view. I was like, oh my God, he's the man, he's the, he's the one that, you know, spots people and, and takes yeah, them yeah. on. Yeah, so at that point, that's who Simon Cowell was for me. So when I heard his name... So Pop Idol at that time would have been... Was Pete Waterman... Yes. Who was so Pete Waterman? Was it Nikki? Nikki Chapman, um, Pete Waterman, uh, Simon Cowell, Sim, and Sim, that, yeah, and Foxy. And oh Nikki, yeah, was DJ it, Fox. DJ Miss, Fox. Yeah, was it yeah. Neil? Neil. Doctor Fox. Yeah, Doctor Fox. Fox. Yeah. So it was those Dr. guys. Fox. And. I mean, I did quite well in it. You know, I got down to the final 50 and I got to the live, like, final 10s. Um, and it actually, I got my agent from it, to be honest. Um, she saw me on a live show and, like, the next day was, um, you know, like, we'd love to sign you. And I was in my second year at Lipper then, so I got into a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was weird because it was like... They were telling you to go out there and make you work and all this stuff. But then equally, when you were putting yourself out there, then you're getting in trouble. You were like, you've not finished the course yet. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Weird. So did, I, yeah. So did, I was going to say, did, were a lot of, pe- lot of people doing that then, keeping agents on the sly? <laughs> not on the sly. It was, um, people were being approached though. You know, I had mm. another friend who went to an open call for Mamma Mia and he got the job and again got into trouble for it. And he like but our third year is about getting the work placement to go out into the world yeah and I'm not sure it was kind of like we were we were quite rebellious obviously we were like well fine we're gonna do it then (laughs) you know and I did keep my agent and thank god I did because you know the following year when I did graduate I ended up working on the royal for ITV yeah and I I mean that was one of my most favorite jobs Ever. It was incredible. I was working with Wendy Craig, with Robert Dawes. Oh, it's a brilliant cast, wasn't it? Yeah, June Whitfield was on my very first day. My oh, first amazing. day was bandaging June Whitfield's arm because <laughs> I played a nurse in the 60s. So I had yeah. to, look, and I, I remember sitting literally the night before having a heart failure with my boyfriend at the time going, I need to know how to bandage you properly. This is, um, <laughs> this is like June Whitfield here. You don't mess about. She'll, and, and, you know, she was on it as well she really Will those she? kind of actors yeah those kind of actors they're I don't think school. it probably wasn't the was, probably wasn't the first time she'd been bandaged either <laughs> probably not do you know no. what I mean it was like exactly and getting onto a set with that caliber of actors um you know you, you don't get it wrong you my, just do my, it right. we always used to watch the royal because my wife loved heartbeat ah. and then obviously the royal was obviously the sort of spin-off wasn't it and so yeah. she loved the royal um so we were big fans do you do you think it was the music that, that really like got people hooked i think it's just that nice sunday evening i guess the same as call the midwife is that yeah. kind of um yeah it's dramatic but not it's nice dramatic if that makes sense it's, <laughs> yeah and, and i think you say like the, the nostalgia of the music and the way it's shot and everything i think it's just slightly you know slightly soft focus some of it i think it's yeah it's just something very pleasant and nice about i mean that. it was think, brilliantly written as well you know yeah. the, the writers of it we were amazing and and obviously the performers um just 
for us working on it that even now all of us it's like what 12 15 years ago and it holds such a special place in our heart we had so many weekends and, and weeks up in Scarborough because that's where we filmed the hospital you know in, in um, North Yorkshire and on the coast and it was just a really amazingly special time um to the point where now we like I see call the midwife and I'm like I'm sure hmm. you were kind of doing that first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? No, well, no. I mean, I remember saying to Michelle when Call the Midlife came on, this is just the royal. Like, oh, we yes. The royal. Thanks, child. <laughs> <laughs> no June Whitfield or anything as good as that. Um, so, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think, yeah, yeah I think those sort of shows are, are quite special, I think. Uh, uh, those sort of Sunday evening. And we sort of lost those a little bit, I think, some of those kind of shows. I think so. I, I definitely think so. I think... I think television has become a lot um, harder. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's it, You either want gritty, killing Eve, line of duty, or you want something that's really, people want to consume, you know, like really hardcore reality stuff, yeah. you know, where you're seeing warts and all. There's nothing mm. that seems to be quite, for me, gentle. And, you know, people are like, oh, gentle's boring. But sometimes I think, is it though? It's like, you know, this this whole thing, that this whole place that we're in right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about this a lot, Giles, and it's what I love, is this kindness, you know, people being kind. And it's all right to be soft. It's all right yeah. to be gentle. It's all right to be kind. You, you yeah. don't have to be aggressive and abrasive all the time. No. No, and and, and and programs, films, TV, like music and anything, they're escapisms. And you, yeah. sometimes you want something nice to escape to. You don't necessarily want to be in Breaking Bad um, all the time. You know, you want you do <laughs> yeah. you want you want something nice and soft and fluffy. Sometimes, I mean, you know, I enjoy those kind of shows because they are nice and like you say, kind and 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 positive, and you get a nice feeling watching them. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think at the mo- at the moment we do at the moment you're absolutely right we definitely we definitely need that kind of niceness I think in I in know. society I um, know yeah I got a question though about when did when you were on working with those kind of big names on the show what were your emotions like were you nervous working with with big names like that what, what were your was your process I was I was nervous but nowhere near what my nerves have been later on in my life. Um, I was excited, you know, I was full of it. I'd just graduated from drama school. I'd got a job with ITV. So I was, I was nervous, but I had that excitement of nerves, you know, that, that, the positive nerves, the ones where you think, yes, kind of, I'm on the road here. And, when you can, you know, you, you've watched films and you've seen people, and then suddenly you stood next to them on a set, and you know you've got to raise your game as well. You know, you're like it was like driving, like put everything that you've learned into practice. <laughs> like, I remember, I tell you what, I remember a director saying to me, um, it was about the temperature of a fever. And we had like a thermometer in as part of our, our uniforms. And I remember the director questioning me. I mean, I'm terrible now because I've forgotten it, but I didn't forget it for three years after that. But he was like, so what temperature should be she be at? And I went, um, and he went, if you're playing a nurse, it's one of the first things you actually should know. And I was like, yeah, okay. 
And then I went home that night and <laughs> cried my eyes out. And because my, because my drama, you know, school Aww. teacher had said to us, make sure you know everything. If you're playing yeah. this character, go and research it. It's, it's your job as an actor to be fully, you know, rounded and to know to know what you're doing. So if you don't know what you're doing and you, you're not doing the best representation and then it's, it's not real. So I was, I did, I went home and I cried my eyes out. I was so upset. Aww. But yeah, and then after that, I've always <laughs> been kind of like, research, research, research. Yeah, you need to go a bit method. Yeah, you kind of do, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. What is the temperature for fever? Then? That's what I just said. I've forgotten now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I knew oh. for years and years, and I knew what like anaphylactic shock and things like that were. Yeah, so I guess yeah, I guess you pick up stuff from the script as well. Yeah, so you were people starting to ask you at home like, oh, I've got a bit of a temperature, or I've got a bit of an ache. Or, <laughs> You know. Yeah, well, again, the whole bandaging thing. The amount of people yeah, I've had yeah. to bandage up. Oh, I'm really? like, oh, no, I know how to do it. I'll do it for you. Here you go. She's this, a, this she is the way. Yeah, she that's what. My granddad said that. My poor little granddad, bless him, before he passed away. He'd be like, she knows what she's doing. She's a nurse, you know. I'm like, I'm not an actual nurse, granddad. I'm not an actual one. Bless him. But that's how good you were. Well, there yeah. you see. Yeah. I got there yeah. in the end. <laughs> but I think it's fun just going back to what you were saying about having something like that coming out of drama school is that I mean it doesn't happen for a lot of people I don't suppose um yeah um that's really that's really cool and obviously showed that that you had what it maybe had what it takes um were there were there people around you that weren't in such a good position absolutely yeah and I think that is one of the hardest things when you come out of drama school you know and you're in you're in this this group because our core um course was probably about 20 people and for me there were actors that were 20 million times better than me definitely even even now I'll still look at those people and go wow you you know you're amazing and I was one of the very lucky ones whether it's right time right place or Mm. whatever I just know how fortunate I was to kind of end up there you know some of my friends from college will say, yeah, but you were very driven, Natalie, and you, and you did all, you know, you wrote all the letters to the agents and you you put yourself out there and got yourself on Pop Idol and so others didn't. Mm. And it's, but I equally know that it's not necessarily a talent thing because for me, there are so many people on my course that were, like I said, 20 million times better than me. And that was difficult because it almost makes you feel bad you know, because you want the same for everybody and you mm. want you want you all to go forward and to have success and you you, you all want to move together. And then when you see that some people do and some people don't, and it happens to different people in different times in their life as well. You know, thankfully, over the yeah. last, since we graduated 20 years, I've seen people that didn't work for the first 10 years, then smash it and go, wow, oh my God, you're like a movie star. Or, you know, other people that did do really really well kind of sit back and go all right well I've had enough now it's it's hit us all at different times and I think Hmm. when we were first starting out I definitely felt a little tinge of guilt I suppose um at that time but it's been nice now with hindsight to look back and go well actually you know what it all reaches us at different times yeah and also like you say so many different elements are at play it's not just yeah. your raw talent or your what you look like or that there are there are a whole sort of I mean the same in things like sport and stuff sometimes yeah. people say oh that footballer's really shit how did they make it but there's a whole sort of plethora of things that they've had to do you know have that determination and that you know yeah. that enthusiasm all these different things 
that also go along with having talent and 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 the looks and everything as well. I, th- I think as well you know what it's management because you you know you look at I'll take these I'll take these girls which I do, I do actually think are, are amazing but you know look at the Spice Girls you wouldn't mm-hmm. say that either single one of them sings like Mariah Carey and I'm sure that individually they would all say that themselves but mm-hmm. you know collectively with a very savvy manager and all of their you know personalities and them not being shy to show that side of their personalities collectively created the most iconic girl band of you know the last whenever last century Mm. and that wasn't necessarily to do with their talent as such their raw vocal talent it was really clever management their incredible personalities and willingness obviously to work you know they've Mm -hmm. all clearly had a really good work ethic to crack on and do it um so all those things that come into play and I think that's why again going back to what Lipper taught us about don't sit there and expect the phone to ring you know, you could have all the talent in the world, but if you sit back on it, mm. it's, there's a really good saying. It's something like, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I and like I, that. I like that because I think yeah. that's true. You know, so many people can be, maybe it's in sport as well sometimes, um, they can just think it's they've got it. Oh, well, yeah. I, I'm the best. But if you don't work and you don't, you know, have all these other things in place, you might not be discovered or you might not. Do you know what I mean? You've kind of got to, you've got to put all those other things in place, I think. Yeah. And allowing yourself to progress as well, I think, develop. Sorry, Jim. Yeah. Is it also a case of seeing a good opportunity when it arises, even if it's not necessarily what you thought you were going to be doing, but it might be an opportunity to take you to a different like the Spice Girls, they might all wanted to be, you know, individual singers, I don't know, but this opportunity came along. Yeah, I do think there's an element of that, you know. I definitely think there is an element of that, of going, of of being um, quite shrewd in your decision-making. And, you know, you're seeing something, you're like, well, I'm, I might be going up for the small, tiny little supporting role here, but I'm working with an excellent director. And if I do a bloody good job... There's nothing to say that that director then in the future wouldn't look at me and say, um, wouldn't say, you know what, that girl has a really amazing work ethic and she literally read, you know, she did two scenes with me, but those two scenes were so key and she did a brilliant job on them. Actually, she'd Mm. be great for this. And I think if you turn your nose up to too many things and you say no, or you don't actually look at the overall picture, then you're kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face sometimes, I think. I think you've got to, as you've just said, Jim, you've got to see the bigger picture and go, okay, what what potentially, if I work hard, it might not be what I want right now, but where could it, where could we go to as long as I work hard? Mm. Tell me about yeah, Emmerdale Farm. Because, well, it's not that, it's not called that anymore, is it? Emmerdale. I've been called Emmerdale Farm for a long time. <laughs> I, like, I still, Come I on, still, Giles. I start, I still call it Emmerdale Farm. Um, <laughs> you were in that for quite a long time. How, how did, how did you get the, the part to start with? It's, you know what? It's very unconventional how I got that part. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I was there for five years, and the role came about because Gavin Blythe, who bless him, is sadly no longer with us. Um, he was a press officer at ITV when I was working on the Royal and 
he then got moved across to become an assistant producer at Coronation Street, along with my former producer of The Royal, who then became the exec at Corrie. And every year I would do this, I would write letters and go, right, what's out there? Hello, everybody, what have you got for me? You know, <laughs> email people nice. going, if I could please be considered, I would be really yeah. grateful. And I'm not bothered about telling people that, I don't care. I'm literally like, I would, yeah, email and just say, you know, I would love to be c- considered for a job or, you know, if just given the opportunity to be seen or whatever. And I mean, obviously, the, and this is after the Royal as well. So, you know, already done Telleyland and all that stuff. Um, yeah, but that he, lipper, that lipper thing's kicking in again, isn't it? I mean, yeah. obviously, that's, that's been a bit of a theme today is that that kind of desire to keep creating your own work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so Gavin emailed me and said... Um, he said, "Oh, you know, I'll definitely keep you posted." Um, if, if I went in, for, I went in to read for Coronation Street actually, and I didn't get the role. I got down to the last two for a role, and then I didn't get it, and I was obviously quite disappointed at that mm. time. But then um, Wicked came up in the West End, and so I, I did get that job. I got the job as Nessa Rose in Wicked in 2010, no, 29, uh, 2009 to 2010, and as I literally signed my contract. I got a phone call from Gavin saying, we've got a role in Emmerdale for you. Do you want to? Because they'd moved across by this <laughs> time. And I went, uh, oh, I can't do it. I've, I've just signed a year's contract to um, to Wicked. So I went to Wicked. And then in the following January, in the January of 2010, I got another email from Gavin saying, when are you finishing? Because we've got a potential role for you. Um, if you want it, do you want to come back home from London? And by this point, I desperately wanted to come yeah. back home from London. I'd been in, I'd just been married, and I spent the first year of my marriage living separately from my husband. You yeah, know, I, li- literally, yeah. we got married in the June, and in um, the following, yeah, in in the January the following year, I then moved to London for a year. So I was desperate to get back home. So I said, yeah. yeah. He said, come in and see me on one of your Mondays off. Come and see me at at ITV. So I did. I went in and he described this character to me, this girl, this um, very brash kind of, he said her heels were higher than high and her skirts were shorter (laughs) than short. He said she was very aggressive and she was quite brash. And I literally looked at him and went, yeah. And I went, and I went, well... (laughs) could do that Kevin and I went I'm not sure this is me I'm not sure you've got the right person he went oh no I think you can and I was like "Ah!" (laughs) like that was human at the time and so yeah he'd explained this character and that she'd had this son and 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 he kind of literally just said to me he went "Do, do you want to do it and I looked at him and I went I what do you mean you, you're like offering me a job and he said well we could put you on a three-month trial basis and you know we'll um we'll go away we'll speak to your agent and if you want to do it and I was like oh my god yeah I mean I had absolutely dreamed of being in Emmerdale but one of my most favorite things ever is at Lipper one of my drama um um, teachers said to me about my accent if you don't change your accent the only thing you'll ever be yeah. is Emmerdale Farm <laughs> that's what he said and, and I was like well that'll do for me thanks yeah, it's, it's yeah. down the road and and so yeah so literally I came out of the meeting a bit like all over the shop because you re- you see that stuff in movies and you read about yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. doesn't really happen to people it's not real and then I got in the car and drove home, kind of screaming. And then the next thing I knew, I got home and I got a call from my agent saying, oh, we've just had Gavin Blythe on the phone and he wants to offer you a three-month contract to Emmerdale. Is this right? And I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> so then that yeah that's how I got the job basically but he'd he'd worked with me on the royal and again yeah. Steve November who was the producer was my producer on the royal so you know they knew again that my you know my work ethic and the fact that I would put my all into it and um yeah and so it kind of went from there really it was a three-month contract to start with and then I was there for five years it's amazing is it though I think that like you say when you've worked with people before and they know they can rely on you yeah yeah um and they can trust you with with a part yeah oh god yeah and I think that's that must be a nice feeling as a as a performer to know that you can be trusted. It was, and it wasn't. I'll tell you why. It was so when I got onto the set, and my first day on the set was with Pauline Quirk because she'd she'd just taken up a role wow. in it as well. And I'm again, I was sat across from Pauline Quirk in the wool pack with Bob <laughs> from Emmerdale. Do you know what I mean? I remember sitting there going. I mean, I know I thought it was big on the Royal with June and everything, but this is like... (laughs) And I I genuinely remember feeling, though, like I'd not earned my place. And I remember thinking I wished I'd I'd have auditioned in a way, even though Mm. I kind of did audition through all those years on the Royal. But at that moment in time, I just felt like, was I worthy of being there, you know? was Did I deserve to be there? And for probably for the first eight weeks... I did really doubt myself a lot because I just kept thinking, oh, I, I, I didn't earn it, I didn't earn it. You know, that, that was really f- fixed into my head and, and it, I kind of lost my confidence a little bit. That imposter syndrome. Yeah, in, ma- so. oh, God, massively imposter syndrome. Yeah, mm. massively. And I remember other cast as well, me thinking to the other cast, you know, well, why have they just picked her? Like, oh, you know, we, we've all auditioned for our roles. And that wasn't the case. That, that, I didn't experience that. But in my head, that's what I yeah, kept yeah, thinking yeah. over and over again. And, um, and yeah, it took me about eight weeks. And Gavin called me into the office, actually, and said to me, are you struggling? And I was like, a little bit, if I'm honest. I, am a, I, I just feel like I didn't have that process of really finding out who the character is. You know, kind of in an audition process, you know, you, you start with the script and then you go in and then you read and then you might do this six, seven times over, especially in a big television job before you actually get the role and you've had all that time and all those notes to really mm. hone the character. And I was just coming to it quite fresh and finding my fee and working, you know, the pace of soap is completely different to drama, completely different. You know, you're talking 40 minutes to shoot a, quite a big wool pack scene, shall we say. And, you know, in, in a drama, you might get two, two, three hours to do that. So the pace was fast as well. You know, there's no room for messing about, no room for, well, I'm not really sure. It's like, boom, get in, do your job and do it well. Um and so I did struggle, but and after that conversation that I had with Gavin, and he was like, "This is yours, you know, own it, own own her. This is yours." And I really did from then. I just felt I needed that little reassurance, and then I kind of ran with it and just started adding in stuff, and you know, and then they very kindly wrote more for me, and they, you know, they they helped. They really helped me with my development as an actor because they really pushed me again out of my comfort zone. And I think, you know, like you were say, saying earlier, Jim, about how sometimes being put in those situations kind of help you flourish a bit. It's mm, terrifying yeah. at the time because you don't know what you're capable of. But, you know, the storylines that they gave me, I was like, oh, my God, you know, Jesus, can I actually do this? Can I, can I, 
can I run with this? And and thankfully I did with an awful lot of support. Um, but yeah, it was. It, I loved her. I absolutely loved Alicia. She was amazing. Yeah, no. And when it comes to that imposter syndrome, no one else is thinking those thoughts that you're thinking. It's all you projecting. It isn't is, it? yeah. And and I think as well, what happens with that is that because you think it, and as you say, Jim, you project it, then their reactions to you are not built on something that's genuine. It's do you know what I mean? And then it and yeah, then it kind of yeah. it's almost like a Chinese whisper, but something that you've put out. Do you know what I mean? So it, mm, it, it yeah. gets misinterpreted. Yeah. So whereas you might be thinking, oh my God, I'm no good at this and overcompensate, you're sending out a completely different signal to somebody else who then goes, Well they're very confident. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not exactly. actually, I'm not actually really confident. Yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely dying in here. I'm just overcompensating, but they don't read it that way because they're not in your head. Yeah. But that was good again, yeah. though, saying, go, going back to you, the producer and <clears throat> the, you know, the people that hired you, they had an instinct to know that maybe you weren't quite where you wanted to be at that yeah. time at the beginning. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think so. And I think that, um, I think they knew me so well. They knew, they knew me that, you know, again, we'd had three years of in, intense work on the Royal. And again, we'd, there were only uh, 13 members of cast on that show. So you built up a very strong relationship, you know, with each other and again with the crew. Whereas on Emmerdale, you've got like 60 people and some of them you don't see half the time. And the producers are kind of locked upstairs in the office. So I built that relationship definitely with Steve and with Gavin at that time. And... Yeah, he, he kind of could read that something wasn't quite clicking into mm. place. Um, but it, it was, I think it was that element of I felt I'd not earned it. And so I was kind of overcompensating or, or even in some cases feeling a little scared to be brave because I was thinking, oh, you know, if I make a two brush, will it be too much of a bold statement? Will it look like I'm trying to take over? Do you know what I mean? And so that you mm. become then hesitant then. And I think they actually wanted, they wanted her to be brash and to be loud and to be yeah. demanding. And I was kind of a bit hesitant. And they were like, no, no, go with it. Go with it. That's what we've got you here for. And then we did. And, and she was a lot of fun then. Was there a moment though, when you suddenly went, okay, I've got this. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I ever. Not necessarily that I've got this. I, I felt like I owned her, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah, there was a moment where I felt like I really owned her, and it was when they gave her a job at Home Farm. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's pretty big. (laughs) And for an avid Emmerdale watcher at the time. Oh, yeah, and also when she got the job at the Woolpack, she had two jobs. She was given the job as the barmaid at the Woolpack and then also a secondary job at Home Farm. And when you had both jobs, I was like, okay, "Okay, I'm all right. I'm going to be at least half the scenes of this program I'm going to be in. Well, yeah, I think it was it was just the trust. You know, they yeah. don't give you, yeah. they don't put you behind the bar of the Wolfpack if they don't trust you. Because, again, you become you become a fixture. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And every yeah, soap yeah. barmaid, every, it is, you know, it is kind of your, your Bet Lynch's, yeah. you know, your... God, just so many of Raquel's, all, all yeah. those, you know, your Sharon's and your, yeah. everyone that's ever worked behind a pub, you know, behind the bar in the pub in a soap. You, you kind of, yeah. Yeah. As, as a kid, you remember them 
And I even have kids like come up to me now, like that are probably would have watched me when they were about 12 and they're what 17. I go, Oh, I used to watch you. You were in the, in the pub in the wall pack. <laughs> like, that was me. <laughs> so yeah. do you know what I mean? It's kind of you. Yeah, yeah. I think that was it for me. It was, yeah. When I got those two jobs. So you said earlier on about not having too many sort of nerves straight out of Lipper, but then you sort of mentioned about nerves later on in your career. When, when was that? Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, um, it started to ramp up during Emmerdale, to be honest. Yeah, my, I've always been quite anxious. I've always had a very anxious temperament. And my grandma's a warrior. And, you know, and we've had, you know, some mental health issues in our family in general. And, and anxiety has always been with me since I was a kid. Um, and it just, in certain times in my life, it's, it's become more... Um, ferocious shall we say than others and towards the back end of Emmerdale you know I'd had a little boy I'd had um I was back to work I was working 15 hour days and I'd gone back and he was 11 weeks old and I was put into the most incredible storylines again that trust which was amazing and I was so grateful for that but equally I I then had this mum guilt that was just you know as I explained right at the beginning my mum wasn't able to be there for me when she was young because she genuinely needs must whereas I was in a very different position and yet I still wasn't with my son and Mm -hmm. it was just this guilt and this argument within myself was just causing this severe anxiety of like just panic all the time so I was and again I was in these amazing storylines that were very emotional so you had this kind of element of nerves and panic in the scene and then I had nerves and panic at home. Yeah. So I was just in a constant state of nerves and panic for what felt like three years. And when you're at that heightened state um, constantly, and you guys will probably know this, that when, you, when you're there for a long time, it takes the slightest thing to, 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 for it to manifest itself, you know, mm. I, I, my, I would fly and I would be horrendous. I'd be terrified. Somebody would bang a door and I, I'd be like, <gasps> you know, panicked. Yeah, and so yeah. after I left Emmerdale, and I, I, I did kind of have a little bit of time to settle a little bit. And then I started working for this morning and, you know, and that was amazing. And it was live telly. So again, it was like adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. Mm, yeah, and you just like, yeah. it just started to get a little bit, worse and worse because it just felt like I never got a chance to reset it I never had the chance to sit back and go oh let's go back to normal let's set reset to zero and then you'd be all right again everything I was doing was building on the last experience and then that was building on the last one so it's like I was just raising the stress levels every time and every job and then by the time I got to fat friends which I loved again I've made some of the best friends on that job my anxiety levels were just through the roof, literally through the roof. And I was reading, funnily enough, about Saran Jones the other day at the Haymarket and she'd collapsed on stage. This is a way back in her career. Mm. And she said it was because she was just over-exhausted from just constant um, adrenaline. And I had a moment like that on stage in Fat Friends where I... I was looking at the audience and the panic of going, the show has started now and I can't get off. I can't, like a ride, I can't get off this. And I'm in it now. And I remember I was about to sing a song and the words that should have come out of my mouth didn't come out of my mouth. Literally gobbledygook came out of my mouth. And I was like, 
just happened and it was this isn't funny. the time to start improvising <laughs> literally it was funny but yeah. for me knowing that that had happened and knowing that I wasn't in control of my own body and that there was this whole other internal thing going on every night after that I was worried every night mm. after that I was like oh my god the show opens am I gonna have a heart attack the show opens, am I going to faint? Am I going to fall on stage? What am I going to do? What's going to come out? What if I forget? I'm going to be stood there all by myself. And just all these horrendous thoughts then just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming to the point where when by the time I finished the show, I was like, oh my God, I was like a nervous wreck. And I think, again, that led yeah. to the, you know, just taking a step back for a while because it just, I just needed that reset. I was going to say, was that the moment where you thought, I need to actually, I do need to take a step. I need to sort of look after myself here. I need to administer some self-care here because something's not right. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely was. And it's exactly why I took my business in the direction that I have done. Because the business, my lifestyle business that I have, the capsule, it's all about um, well-being and wellness and, you know, and dealing with anxiety. And at first it was a bit of a fashion blog, you know, and it it was, it was something that I enjoyed doing. And I talked about fashion and travel and all this stuff, but then I would recommend products for, for anyone that was suffering from anxiety. So like, you know, a really good sleep spray or yoga or whatever it was, things that were genuinely helping me. And, but I never dared tell anybody why I was recommending those products, I would just be like, these yeah. are nice because I think as a yeah. professional and as an actor and it's, we're in a much better place now than we were five years ago, you know, when I very first mm-hmm. finished Emmerdale about talking about our mental health and talking about how we feel. People are being much kinder in this area than they were five years ago. And um, so I felt just at the back end of last year, I felt more at ease kind of, being honest about why why I'd taken my business in this direction of well-being. Oh, is it there? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying yeah. it was unstable. Um, and yeah. yeah, so the direction of well-being, and, and, and I just felt I needed to be honest about it because I wanted people to trust me and I wanted to say, you know, this genuinely has worked for me, I promise you. Yeah. And so I had to kind of take ownership of, of, of that and that was an incredibly scary moment. And we had a live event last year um, and it was a group of women and it was, it was a beautiful event. And I remember crying my eyes out when I first kind of said, it was like being, it was like being in therapy. It's like, hi, I'm Natalie and I suffer from serious anxiety. And I was crying. Yeah, yeah. And so many people in the audience were like, oh that's me as well and then from that I I honestly it it gave me confidence and I think that's what this little journey has been about for me really especially the last 18 months has been taking that step back to reset and then finding my confidence to then go back to kind of what I know as in you know it's okay for me to do a live stream now it's okay for me to sing live and not panic I'm, go- I'm gonna be fine I'm not gonna forget the words it's okay for me to have a conversation and people not judge me you know or, or if I genuinely say god I'm so anxious people are gonna go oh, she's a bit weird 
you know, they're like, oh, that's me as well. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think that that this whole uh, last year, I just, like you said, I, I needed that time to kind of step back and go, um, you know, how do we, how do we get back to in, enjoying performing? I think I'd fallen out of love yeah. with it at that moment in time. Well, I was thinking also you'd done a hell of a lot. I mean, you didn't, you'd done the Royal, then you'd done Wicked, which is full on doing a live performance, you know, musical theatre. Then the Emma mm-hmm. Down for five years, you know, you'd done all yeah. this work. And I did, I was also thinking like, possibly if you'd had those anxious moments, which you'd obviously had some of those sort of moments along the way, um, whether it would have been more difficult to reveal those kind of things during those periods of time when you were working so much. Um, and I wondered also if maybe the industry has had to sort of start to address those sort of things with actors a bit more and allow them the time and space, mm. you know, to, I mean, it's, I guess it's difficult with a soap opera when you're, when you're working so flat out, but do you think producers and, and, and filmmakers and things are, are, are being more, um, are more caring towards their actors? I or do you think, think it's still a difficult to... area? I think it depends, you know. I think a lot... Do you know what it is? I don't necessarily think it's the establishment. I think it's the individual of what they've Mm. been conditioned with. So, for example, Mm. the show must go on. You know, that that is the the age-old saying, I don't care if you're dead, Mm. get into work. You know, there's only one you. We we can't film you. And that's something that you're schooled in from being tiny from being at dancing mm. class when you're four and five, get on with it. You've hurt your foot, tough, get on with it. And there's something in that, don't get me wrong. I'm like, yeah, crack on. But then there's also this conditioning of if you are struggling, you feel very afraid to say anything. And mm. I did for such a long time, for such a long time. I remember being, feeling vulnerable in Wicked, feeling vulnerable um, t- at times at Emmerdale and not really taking con- ownership of it, taking control of it for fear of, oh, well, uh, you know, you- you're replaceable, they'll replace you because that's what they do. Mm. It's like, oh, well, you're a bit, you know, we can't really depend on you, so let's let's get somebody else in. But that's that's not to say that they would have done that. That's me. That's me feeling like that. And I think so many actors feel like that. And... And you know, and and I suppose there is an old school mentality in that sense, in the sense in the sense, sense that um, you know, you look at your your Harvey Weinstein's, you know, and you think mm. that, you know, like there has been an age old I suppose um, I can't describe the word now, but feeling in in our community, in in the acting um, industry and, and entertainment industry of that again, you are disposable you know, in whatever Mm, capacity. And I think that because it's so competitive and so fierce in our industry, any sign of weakness or any sign of, even if it's not weakness, even if it's to stand up against something, even if it's to say, well, actually, that's not right. You feel like, well, you're trouble, see ya. You know, and it's whether, Mm, you know, or or you're bye-bye if you're trouble or bye-bye if you're weak. It's it's a very strange industry, but I do feel like in the last five years, I've seen a change, or that there's almost been a, a forced change of, look how many you know um, entertainers have been so ill with mental health problems, or mm-hmm. you know look how many people came forward after the whole Harvey Weinstein Me Too movement and raised their hands and said, well actually this has happened to me. I think the industry has 
definitely had to have a massive wake-up call and gone, this is not acceptable. We need to be more protected. Actors need to feel, and entertainers, across the board, you know, if that's crew as well, all Hmm. crew and production, we need to feel a little bit more secure in our jobs that... You know, if you if you if there's an injustice in any way or, or, or a vulnerability, you're not going to be punished for it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, agree. Yeah, when it comes back, to what you're saying earlier about kindness, doesn't it? Yeah, kindness should be our first stop, and we should be kind to each other, people that are struggling, people that have problems, and protecting each other as a first, as a very first stop before we even then do anything else. Absolutely, yeah. Again and again, compassion. You know, it's what we started with. It's like what my mum taught me when I was a little girl was. You be compassionate and understanding. You don't know, you don't be quick to judge. You don't know someone's story. Let them have their yeah. say. Let them tell you what's going on and then make a, make a decision from that. But don't just, don't just assume, you know, make sure you've got the full facts and, and be, be understanding and be kind. And just, I suppose, yeah, it's like, it is, it really genuinely does come down to kindness. And even with your time, you know, just give someone time to sit and explain or mm. say how they're feeling and don't laugh at them for it. Because it, 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 yeah. it's, it's so brave when somebody comes forward and, and says, oh, I'm struggling a bit, you know, you might, oh, pull yourself together. Do you know what I mean? It's, it might have mm-hmm. taken that person an awful lot to actually get to that point of being able to vocalise yeah. oh, it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to jinx it. I feel like I'm back in the room. I feel you are like Jim, yeah. things are going okay. Your picture's this okay is, now. This is good. good. It is, yeah. <laughs> I bet it's going to go as soon as that. I just want to pick up on something. You, you've talked about your mum a lot. Clearly your mum's a, a big role model for you. Oh, my God, yeah. My, oh, God, absolutely, yeah. Debs. <laughs> Lovely Debs. Oh, my um, God, my mum's my, my called Debra Yeah, as well. you see, Debs, the busy bees. Um, <laughs> yeah, she is, massively. And, and on my podcast, the way that we finished my last series of the podcast was that um, I did a Mother's Day special with my mum. And I just interviewed just my mum and I asked her about her life, her thoughts and how she felt about being a young mum. And we have a very um, strong relationship and, you know, sometimes it's quite fraught because we're very, very similar. And again, the age difference isn't massive. Mm. You know, when, you know, when you think my, what, my mum was 37 and I was 20 at one point, you know, and, yeah. and that is yeah. like, what? You know, my mum's not even 40 and I'm 20 and we're like out. And it was, you know, that was a difficult <laughs> time for the pair of us. Um, and then you put my husband in the middle, who's 10 years between us it's like what the hell is that <laughs> but um yeah she's she is she's absolutely amazing my mum she's incredible I don't know where she gets her strength from I don't know where she she's she's just so clever and wise and you know yeah we fall out and yeah we argue and but I absolutely love her dearly and for all the things that she taught me as a kid and just really good morals, you know, really, really, I, 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 it baffles me really. And I said this to her on our podcast, I was like, you were 17, you were a baby. Like even, even when I was seven, you'd have been 24. How did you even know to teach me stuff like that? I'm still, I'm 30 odd and I'm still figuring it out, trying to teach my seven year old. (laughs) But she just said, and funnily enough, what she actually said was, she said, but she felt that they were older then. She was like, yeah. when she had a baby at 17, actually, it wasn't that bad. It was like she'd been dating my dad for a long time. Mm. And people kind of were like, yeah. oh, 
that's lovely, they're having a baby. Whereas now, a 17-year-old, you freak out. And yeah. she just said to me that she felt like people's maturity levels nowadays, she was like, it's like they don't grow up till they're 30. You know, mm. they, they're, they're 30 years old and they're still yeah. kind of having, like, panics or living at home with their parents. She was like, whereas we were just, you know, in the late 70s, 1980s, were just that little bit more streetwise and savvy. And I definitely think she's got a point with that, really. Yeah, I mean, we're def- definitely like having kids later nowadays, aren't we? You know, we're we're having our careers and then and then possibly starting families. So I think that's that's very true. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was thirty one before I had Fred. Um, you know, my husband was forty then at that time. So yeah, we we were really late on in in that sense. And I don't know. It's um, it's a, it is a funny one, but yeah, my mum, she's she is an absolute rock star, bless her. And you know what? She's mad. She's we are so different. I always say I'm like Joan Collins, and she's like Lara Croft. She's like literally. She, you know, she's, <laughs> seriously. So my mum is like you know she'll go off and she treks the Inca Trail. She gets her backpack. She went wow, to Thailand amazing. on her own. She's she's like pro- yeah, she's a real go getter. Tie your boots up get your rucksack, off you go. She she had me bloody ma- walking up mountains from the age of about eight. Come on, up Mount Snowden. Come on, up Scarfell in the Lake District. And I'd be crying, going, I'm really tired. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like literally, you know, camping. So she's, she was, she's very robust, my mum. Oh, she sounds amazing. amazing. What she inspiration. Tell us about your podcast, actually. I want to know more because I, I have listened to a couple of episodes, but yeah, for our listeners who yeah, haven't. Yeah, so, so um, the Catch in Conversation mm. is, um, you know, it's taken from the website, from, from my, mm. my business, the Catch which again is all about well being and predominantly women's well being as well, because obviously that's what I'm living and breathing and it's sure. something that's really personal to me. And I kind of felt more, um, more at ease talking about that side of things, really. And Yeah, we talk, you know, every week we have a brilliant guest. We have a lot of high-profile guests, but then equally we'll have, you know, an expert in their field, whether it's a nutritionist, a doctor, um, a personal trainer, an NLP coach, just basically giving the tools and honest chat about the realities of women's mental health, women in business, you know, people that are struggling or they really want to make a business for themselves but they don't know where to start. We, all that kind of stuff really about empowering women and giving mm-hmm. them the confidence to feel good about who they are, feel um, confident in themselves, in their own skin, powerful if they want to go and start that business. Or, you know, just it's, it's kind of quite an open place to have a chat like that and to get involved with. And, and I, to be fair... I've absolutely relished it. I've loved doing it. I've really loved doing it. And it goes back to what you said, Jim, earlier about, you know, sometimes you throw yourself in at the deep end and you actually love something. Mm. Like if somebody had said to me, you know, five years ago, oh, you'll probably do some radio stuff and and a podcast, I'd have gone, no, that's not for me. I don't like the sound of my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd have been like, no, I hate that. And I can't be myself. No, I don't like being myself. That's what I would have said. And now I really enjoy chatting with people. I love having an honest, open chat. And what's the nicest thing is that other people like that too, as in they like to listen in to you having a chit-chat. And I think that's really lovely. And so that's something I've definitely enjoyed. 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about this quite a lot. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was that we you know it, it was a chance to connect to people that inspire us and are heroes of ours and people that we, you know, we we, we really want to talk to and, and connect with. And I think it's that connection that um, is, yeah. is really what drives us to keep doing this podcast. And I'm sure it's the same for you with, with Catch-All podcast. Yeah, it is, definitely. It is, it's that, it's, it is the connection. And now more than ever, I think, you know, now more than ever, it's, it's become very apparent that we need connection. Hmm. We need it. We, we struggle without it. You know, if, if we'd have not, imagine if we'd have had this whole lockdown period, you know, back in a time when we didn't have any social media or Wi-Fi, yeah. how much harder this would have been, mm. how awful and, you know, kids not even being able to have FaceTime conversations with their friends, with their grandparents, yeah. with teachers, it would, you know, business not being able to be done, it, 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 we need connection so much. And I think pr- prior to the lockdown, I felt like that was something that we were losing. We mm. were losing that. Uh, we were becoming very isolated in general. You know, you didn't yeah. really know your neighbours. Now we do clap for carers and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, hello, yeah. you, how are you? <laughs> yeah. How are you? Are you okay? Do you need any shopping? Yeah. You know, if someone had said that to me, and I'll be honest, if someone had said that to me 12 weeks ago, I'd have gone, oh, they're talking to us. They're talking <laughs> to us. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and it's, it's a weird thing. And... I think it's it's taught us all to um, relax a bit, you know, do, do, just be just relax and kind of say hello. And that power of connection is vital for all of yeah. us and for all of our well-being. Absolutely, yeah, I totally agree. Connection is important, apart from when the connection is my internet. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim, you're here. <laughs> yeah. I know it's somehow. <laughs> Uh, worked out thank you for sticking by me guys Anytime. i appreciate it but no i do I, I totally agree i think um for all the sort of negative and de- and, and challenging aspects of the lockdown i think that this chance it's almost like the world's had a moment to breathe and we've been able to reflect yeah. and yeah and really sort of like you say reconnect and realize there's stuff i've realized we've been missing out on like you say just saying hello to our neighbours, which is, you know, ridiculous, really. Uh, you know, back in the day, we would have, you know, we would have taken a hamper around for them when they moved in and all that kind of stuff. And I just think, God, we, these little tiny things and little gestures of just, you know, obviously we're having to be distant from people when we're walking, but just saying hello to people more because we can't, you know, those sort of little tiny things. I that wonder, just... though, and I, I have thought this myself, Giles. Like, I wonder when it was that we did stop doing those things. Mm. Where we stopped when the neighbours come in, and yeah. you know, and and, and, and moved in. You, you took them something round. You took them a bottle of wine. When mm. did we actually stop doing that? I, it, it's a funny one, isn't it? Well, I do wonder if it's more our generations that have been less likely to do those things. You know, I think I mean, my parents aren't here anymore, but I think their generation possibly, and maybe your mum, and, you know, mm. possibly would have been more like that. But I, I think, yeah. prob- I don't know. Um, but, yeah, certainly we're a lot, we've been a lot more cagey in, in recent years about doing things like that, I think. And maybe yeah. it's our generation that needs to make a, you know, make a difference. And maybe, you know, we've certainly put an onus on our own children to be more like that now. And perhaps that's something that you know their generation will be more inclined to, um, yeah, to open up and be more. Yeah, uh, again, just just again, kind. Yeah, yeah. just be I mean, more a, kind. It's a very small word that has an incredibly big impact. I think so. Yeah, hugely, Agreed. massively. 
Um, Natalie, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Um, thank you so much for your openness and your kindness. Uh, it's been lovely. We normally end the podcast by getting our guests to give their advice on blank moments to our listeners. So have you got any advice for anyone listening that might be going through a blank moment, be that creatively or linked to anxiety or anything? Yeah, I would say my advice to anyone that is going through a blank moment to um, this is going to sound really cheesy now, but it's kind of Jesus worked kid. for me. Yeah, it's um, it's just to to smile and be positive and just keep going, even even if it's just the tiniest step, even if it's just one foot in front of the other, the tiniest thing, just trust that that tiny thing, like a snowball, will eventually motor you on and it'll pick up momentum and eventually you'll roll down the hill and into something much better. That's kind of what I would say. Oh, well, that, uh, that wasn't cheesy at all. That's lovely. No, that was great. That was lovely. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being kind. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie Anderson, thank you so much for being on the Blank Podcast. It's a real treat to talk to you. And um, like I say, it's been really nice getting to know you over social media. So I'm really glad that we've had this opportunity. I'm sorry it's not in real life, but maybe sometime we'll be able to grab a cuppa together. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much to the pair no, of you, you for having me. It's been lovely. I've really enjoyed it. You two take care now. You too. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Bye. Well, there you go. That was Natalie Anderson on the Blank Podcast. What a great guest. Really, really lovely person. Yeah, love Natalie. Really honest and open about all aspects of her career. And I think a very inspiring person. And you know what? Because we're watching it, we're obviously doing it on Zoom. We can see each other. I, I think Natalie was smiling nearly all the way through the interview. And that was so lovely. Well, no, but it was, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was true. You know, she just seems like a genuinely lovely, lovely person. Agreed. Yeah, I liked, I liked the bit she was saying about uh, even while in work, she was emailing producers she knew and sending out letters and saying, please consider me for stuff and catching up. And I think that little bit of proactivity got, you know, got her Emmerdale. And I think that's uh, uh, something that we can all sort of take into our lives. Like just that little bit extra of sort of asking, you know, and putting yourself out there. Yeah. And I think obviously like doing her course at Lipper, that was a big thing that, that was sort of instilled in the students there to create yeah. your own work. And I think that yeah. was really, has really stayed with her. And I think you know, it's, it's really important as a creative. Um, things don't often fall on your lap. So you do have to kind of get out there. Things, and well, they rarely, they rarely do. Mm. Yeah. You have to make it happen for yourself. And I think she's living proof of that. Yeah. So um, thank you, Natalie. What a legend. Uh, mm. Shall we read out a tweet? I think we should. I've got one here from Michelle. She's at Sheb Shelley. And she says, I was looking forward to this, the blank podcast. And it was so helpful and as well, very insightful. So thank you. Oh, lovely. Very mm. nice. I like to think that people are getting some insight as well. That's, you know, that's nice. Um, I've got one here from Mark Sanders at Runner Markey. And he says, looking for a podcast to enjoy. Let me introduce Blank Pod with uh, Giles Paley Phillips and Jim Daly. Superb hosts, superb guests. What more can you ask for? 
current two favourites. <laughs> I don't know, Mark. Current two favourites are my childhood idol, Gary Lineker, and the fabulous Julia Bradbury. Check it out. Uh, lovely. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, Bradders and Lineker. <laughs> Bradders. <laughs> uh, two good pods. And uh, actually, I went for a run this morning, looking at Mark's profile, and he's a, he's a big runner. I went for a run this morning. And I think actually listening to a podcast is a good way to fill that uh, time running. Oh, definitely. I often listen to podcasts. I started listening to podcasts when I did my isolation marathon, but then I reverted to doing um, Instagram and Facebook Live. (laughs) All the important things. Well, I think some people might have been doubting that I was doing it for real. (laughs) So I wanted to prove that I was. (laughs) Um, but podcasts are a great way to spend your time if you're out walking and uh, exercising. Yeah. yeah. And at the moment, you know, I know, I don't know when we're allowed to go out. I'm very confused by it all. But I think going out is as important as ever at the moment. So, you, mm. you know, use that time to listen to a podcast and uh, catch up with them. Us and other pods. There are lots to listen to. There we won't be offended ones. if you listen to a different podcast. No, but we would like you to listen to ours and recommend it to your friends. And subscribe. That lovely. And rate and us. all that, and like and rate and all that, um, and send us your messages because we are yes. at Blank Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and you can also email us, can't you, Jim? The Blank Podcast, twenty eighteen. Wow, two years ago. At gmail dot com. Gmail dot com. Exactly. Thank you we so really much. Dated, we really dated ourselves with that email, haven't we? Yeah, well, it's good. It means we can remember how when we started this adventure. <laughs> oh, man. Good. Well, look, mate, have a good week. And you. And same to all our listeners. Stay safe. Yeah. And we'll see you again very soon. Wash your hands. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.